This message was recorded at North 2012, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. When we started uh, North uh, Bible Week uh, nine years ago, by the way, next year will be our 10th anniversary. When we started North Bible Week nine years ago, there were three visions that God gave us as a team. Number one was to provide quality children's work from zero right through to 18 plus and actually giving an opportunity for every one of our young people to get an encounter with Jesus, to be filled with his spirit and to be propelled out on mission Guys, it's happening. Isn't it wonderful to see that? The second vision that we would have great fellowship, church to church, that we would enjoy our relationship together. We'd being friends, enjoying God. We just enjoy the campsite. Praise the Lord, it hasn't rained this year too much, and it's been great. I actually went to the prayer meeting this morning. There was a little patch of mud. I actually walked around it, and I said to the guys, what a difference a year makes. (laughs) But the third vision that we had as a team first was children, second was fellowship, was apostolic vision and casting apostolic doctrine that mobilizes us as a group of churches, that we wouldn't stay static. Although we love the north, although we love where God's rooted us, we would actually reverberate out and grow forth and grow forward. Our very first speaker in our very first event nine years ago was David Holden. In fact, it was David when I shared this the news that we were hoping to have a Bible weekend like this, I said, is it okay, David? He kind of oversaw the team that I was leading at that point, and I said, David, is it okay? Because Stonely's closed, and Terry said, don't start another Stonely. And David said this, he said, it's okay to do it, but keep it really quiet. (laughs) So we've done that in obedience, and yet God has shouted it out. But actually, David has encouraged us so much personally in this and in North. This is the third time David's been the speaker at our North event. Please, will you welcome our very dear friend, David Holden. Well, thank you very much. It's been a fantastic uh, privilege for Liz and I to be here. We've enjoyed every moment of it. We've enjoyed uh, spending time with friends uh, that we've known for many years and many people that we've never met before and enjoyed fellowship with you as well, which is wonderful. Uh, before I get into the, the word, I would like to use this opportunity to make some comments, if I may. Um, One of the great uh, joys of being the final speaker at uh, an event like this is one gets to correct all the wrong things that were said by other people and uh, bring the right emphasis that needs to be brought um, and get rid of any error. So I just want to start off by uh, just commenting on three things and I'd like your time to just listen to this and they are referring to things that have already been mentioned but this is an opportunity for me to speak as well. And uh, on the first uh, evening we were here, Jeremy talked about the vision of Christ Central and told you a little bit of the background as to how we've got to where we are today. And I know that many of you have been part of this family of churches called New Frontiers for many, many years. And it means a lot to you. And it's kind of precious because it's been a really wonderful journey. 
But there's one thing that New Frontiers has done actually very well over the last 30 years, and that's death. And what I mean by that is that over this period of time, God has told us on various occasions to close things. And on each occasion, we've been reminded of that scripture that when a, 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 a grain, a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't produce just one seed, but many. And so every time we've closed something and we've died to something, and friends of mine who are not part of New Frontiers have said, what on earth are you doing by doing this courageous thing? We have experienced multiplication. And actually, the word multiplication is the word that I want you to understand of what New Frontiers is going through right at the moment. We could stay as we are. We could keep doing the same events that we've done for years. But because we have a passion not to keep New Frontiers flag flying, but as this whole conference has been about, to raise up the name of Jesus and to reach the nations, then we simply have to die to some things in order for that to be birthed. And I believe that this multiplication that's going on is so that many more people will be saved, thousands will be reached with the gospel, hundreds and thousands of churches will be planted around the world. And there will be a day, I'm speaking to those of you that are a bit nervous and, uh, and maybe even a bit wondering what it's all about, there will be a day not far from now where you will begin to really rejoice that New Frontiers didn't stay one team but multiplied into many teams. The Olympic Games was an extraordinary experience. Liz and I had the privilege of going to a number of events, and it was a remarkable time. In fact, when Dave Devonish was speaking yesterday about the, the amazing things, the common grace, I couldn't help but think about the Olympic Games because it took our breath away. And the opening ceremony, the, the closing ceremony was rubbish, but the opening ceremony... Was, was remarkable in terms of what it accomplished. I actually had friends who were part of all the thing that was going on inside the stadium. But you know, one of the things that really struck me, which I thought was remarkable, it was one of the, um, the worst-kept secrets as to who was going to run in and light the flame. And so Steve Redgrave was obviously the guy that everyone knew it was going to be, but we didn't know what was going to happen. And something prophetic occurred at that moment. Now, they're not aware of it, and, you know, we're just observers, but that's how we see it. And two things happened, which had never happened before. First of all, they had made the decision to hand over to a younger generation. The symbolism of, of choosing younger athletes who have not yet reached their prime and saying, we are investing in you for the future, was a pretty amazing thing. As a family of churches, it's absolutely what we're going through. Some guys who pioneered 30, 40 years ago are not going to be around forever. We need to be a multi-generational movement. All that God has done amongst us over these years, which has been wonderful, is not supposed to end up just here with what we are, but it's to be handed over to another generation. And one of the great joys of this family of churches is, folks, we are so privileged. 
because we have multitudes of younger people in our ranks and we're getting them ready to go beyond where we've gone. If you think that's a good idea, you can look fairly happy and excited about it. The second thing that happened was they didn't hand over to one person. I think there were seven, I don't know how many, I can't remember, it's not, it's not important. But I thought, this is really strange. They have decided to multiply. They have decided symbolically to have a number of people doing this. And it's exactly what New Frontiers has decided, not to hand over to one person, one successor, but to a younger generation, an upcoming generation, and also to many, to multiplication. I really want to encourage you that what we are a part of is only the beginning of something amazing. This is the beginning, it's not the end. Second comment I want to make is about our ongoing relationship together. It's so important that those of us who believe that God is giving us a new sphere of ministry do not hive off into their own area and do their own thing. And there's lots of reasons for that, but the main reason is because of the United Kingdom. This land, these nations, part of the United Kingdom, we cannot afford to splinter off and do our own thing because we will lose the momentum and the impact. Now you know as well as I do that New Frontiers is just a very, very small part of the much bigger thing that God is doing in this nation, but we know prophetically that God has called us to do certain things. And those things can only be accomplished when we work together for the sake of this nation. So praise God for the development of spheres. And I'm in the process right now, I'm a bit behind the curve, I've come lately, but I'm in the process of trying to get a sphere of, of churches together. But before we even do that, my passion is that my relationship with all the brothers I've worked with and those who are yet to come is absolutely kept together in genuine friendship. And I guess there might be a kind of trust that we have, but we need a lot more than that. We need genuine friendship and accountability with one another. So it's so great that we are actually in and out of one another's worlds. And it's not a north thing, hallelujah, and it's not a south thing or an east and a west thing or a Scottish thing or whatever else. It's a family of churches multiplying who are for one another. And when I hear that you are planting all those churches in different places, I want to be rejoicing and getting behind it and resourcing it, and I want you to do the same for us. That's the generous heart and attitude that we should have for one another. I would appreciate it if you could pray, for example, for someone like myself, um, we're working with the numbers of churches across the UK. We have 25 churches in London alone that we are building a relationship with and trying to see how we can work together. We are working together into certain nations. We've got a great uh, work going on into Zimbabwe, into South Africa. We're very involved in Europe. We're into Germany and Holland and Italy and Romania and we're getting involved in Bulgaria, and you've heard repeatedly that we're involved in France, which has been an interesting experience for me, because uh, over the years I've gone to France many times on holidays, uh, probably like many of you have, and one of the great things is that you come back again. <laughs> and the other thing that you realise is the French don't like us very much, and we don't like them very much either. I've got a book at the moment which is entitled, which I'm reading, a Thousand Years of Annoying the French. That's the title of the book. 
And yet I find myself with a group of guys totally absorbed in the possibility of seeing that nation transformed through the power of the gospel and seeing churches planted. And we are seeing so many encouraging signs. And I hope you'll get information of some of the things we're doing because there just could be people here who have a burden in their heart for France. And I would love to encourage you to link with us so that we can help you uh, in that process. And we haven't got a name yet either. I mean, well done for your name. At the moment, our name is Dave's Mates. <laughs> and the only song we've come up with to sing at our conference next year is, His name is David, which is, <laughs> which is a bit different from Christ Central and all the things you said the other night. We don't want that name. So we're in the process of saying, Lord, what have you got for us? And very quickly, because I want to get to the Word of God, the third thing is this, that the teaching, and I just want to bring this out, if I may, the teaching that you have heard throughout this conference and the implications of a lot of that teaching has huge repercussions for you and us as people. I think Dave's teaching, Dave Devon's teaching on our worldview, biblical worldview, a changing worldview, it radically changes the way we do mission. It changes the attitudes we have to people who don't yet know Jesus. It changes the whole culture of how we do church. And you see, it's not how many churches we plant, it's what kinds of churches we plant. Take, for example, grace. If we really are grace-filled churches, and you combine it with I mean, when Dave was preaching, I don't know what you were doing, but my mind was going all over the place into all kinds of repercussions. Helpful. I found it so freeing. I just want to encourage, it says in the, early, early, the, the New Testament, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Do you know what, it, what devoted means? It means devoted. And it means they went over it continuously again and again and again. And I want to encourage us to apply ourselves to to all of that. I mean, I think of my background. I think some of the things that Dave said, and I could identify with it. And I, I can remember when I got saved, uh, all, I had to get my hair cut. Because my hair, you're not going to believe this, my hair was as long as, as this. But I became a Christian. And in those days, this was not acceptable. I got rid of all my rock music. I was told to get rid of it because it was of the devil. So I'm sitting there listening to this, remembering all my fantastic music that I kind of got rid of because rock music was of the devil. And I remember thinking at the time, but it's just, an, it's just a, a neutral thing. You can do good things and you can do... And it wasn't until a few years later that I actually realized, got revelation of God, that it's actually country music that's of the devil. And I... And the line of Cain has produced some amazing things, but that's just bad. <laughs> I am a rhinestone cowboy is not going to be sung in heaven. <laughs> but to actually, to actually absorb that, there is no spiritual secular divide. And that the kingdom of God is invading every part of this planet. And that Christians can be at the forefront of that is amazing. And just finally, Jeremy's word to us last night. I don't think you have any idea 
how massive the implications of what he shared with us. I mean, we live, come on, let's, I'm, I'm in an honest mood at the moment, at the end of this conference. I'm getting older, I haven't got much, yeah, you know. And uh, it's not grumpy old man, it's kind of... <laughs> but I, I, I'm, just, I'm just aware that we live in a culture, a Christian culture, that's the opposite to what you were hearing about last night. It's kind of about success and numbers. And as Jeremy said, buildings. And, and we, we, we've, we've, we've kind of reinterpreted it. We have a celebrity status. We have a kind of culture that exalts. And when Paul, the apostle, said... You know, as Jeremy showed so powerfully, they're super apostles. He said, and his appeal was to the authenticity of whether he was the real deal or not was on the basis of weakness rather than man's strength. That has massive repercussions for all of us and all that we're doing. So we come to our final word at this conference and I'd like you to turn, please, if you've got your Bibles, these verses, some of them will come up on the screen behind me. And I want to turn to Matthew chapter 28, and I want to look at the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. Verse 18, authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We go this afternoon back into the real world and I thought it would be good to bring a word that was relevant to that, a sending word. And we know this passage of Scripture very well and for 2,000 years... The church of Jesus Christ has been going in the light of these words that Jesus spoke. It's famously entitled the Great Commission. Christ Central is a family of churches that can say, come with us, we'll do you good. Why? Because they're going somewhere. They're on the move. You're on the move. You're a going people. You're a sent people. You're an apostolic people. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me, therefore go. And he actually even lists the kind of things that we're meant to do. And then he promises he's going to be with us as well. And I have heard some really good sermons on this passage of scripture. It nearly always focuses on the going or on what you will do. People will pick up this scripture and say, this is a mission statement or a mission-minded word. This is what Jesus has in mind when he sends us. But I would like to propose to you that rather than me speaking a word on how to go and what to do and how we're going to get there, that we actually press the pause button on verse 18 particularly and as we go from this conference, I want you to go with this ringing in your ears because I think sometimes we misunderstand what this passage is really saying to us 
and therefore a lot of time and effort is given to try and make something happen without this missing ingredient. And the pause button is one word, and it's the word authority. I haven't got three points in this sermon. I've only got one, which is a bit unusual. But I just want to talk this morning about the word authority. This is the one point I want to make. Because the only basis for going anywhere or doing anything seems to be all captured in this one word, authority. The emphasis of this passage of Scripture is not on us, It's on him. It's not on going. It's on going with authority. And it's not our authority. It's all wrapped up in his authority. I I don't know about you, but sometimes we kind of of find Christians, and we're going to kind of unravel this a little bit later on, but we kind of find Christians, it's all on the emphasis of our authority or my authority or the church's authority. I don't have any authority. The church doesn't have any authority outside of the authority that has been given to Jesus. This passage of Scripture is not about being sent. It's about the sending one. And I just want to refocus this is a word about going and doing, but it's, it's kind of like refocus again upon the fact there wouldn't be any going or doing anything if it didn't begin with Jesus saying these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an amazing statement that Jesus makes. It's about the sending one, actually. Not about the scent. It's all about Jesus. All authority has been given unto me. I sometimes wonder if we have allowed too much emphasis on the scent ones. So it's down to us, down to our resources, even down to us fulfilling the calling that God has given to us. And Jesus says, before anything else happens, and this is what... You know, we've got a big task before us. We've got hopes and dreams and we've got obstacles and opposition. This is not an easy country to be a Christian in at the moment. Guess what? It's not going to get any easier. Europe is not easy. We have huge, secularized, humanistic kind of attacks against us as a people. I tell you, everything changes when you get this issue. That it doesn't matter. Why? Because all authority has been given unto Jesus, who is the head of the church. Notice he says all authority, not some. Notice this authority is given to the ascended Christ, which means it's forever. It's not just authority for the first century. It's for everywhere And it's not just authority for some places, it's authority. Why do Christians go on and on and on about this is a really tough place? What's that got to do with anything? 
Everywhere I go, people say, well, it's really hard here, that's why it's not working. That's funny, because I've just come from somewhere, and they just said exactly the same thing over there. And so as Christians, we focus upon the hardness of the task, or the obstacles, or the difficulties, thinking that gives us an excuse as to why it's not working. Wherever you are in the world, whatever century, when you lift up your heads, you see a Jesus who is ascended on high, who has all authority for all time over every situation in every generation and every place. And when you are in France and you are longing to see a breakthrough and you recognize the the size of the Christian community and the secularization of that nation, you need to believe stuff like this. Otherwise, we're going to just pack up and go home. We need revelation today that will change us as we go from this camp. And it will change everything in terms of how we can view everything before us. So I have a question for you today. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, my question is, how come? How come all authority has been given to Jesus. If that statement is true, how come? And I want to just highlight three areas. We could highlight many, many more areas, but let me quickly highlight three. The first reason Jesus can say, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth, is because of the work of the cross. Because Jesus came and lived a life without sin, and then became sin, and died for us on the cross, And because his blood, which we've actually talked about quite a lot over this camp, because his blood is perfect and and gives access for all people, whoever you are and whatever you've done, into the throne of God, and because the Bible then emphasizes Jesus is a lamb who has been slain, who is worthy, which means exalted, and raised up, who was worthy to be praised, that there's only one lamb, there's only one sacrifice, there's only been one person who has been worthy to die that death on the cross, and for the blood that he sacrificed to be received, as it were, into heaven, that the revelation we get that this Jesus is the lamb who is worthy, that his blood was shed, and when he says, all authority has been given to me, It means all authority through the life I've lived and through the death that I have died. That in Revelation, the book of Revelation, it tells us we will forever worship this exalted one because of what he has accomplished for us as his people. This is the first reason why he can say I have all authority. Because the cross was a once and for all sacrifice. There's nothing else that needs to be done to add to it. It's complete. And therefore, every eye in heaven is turned towards the Lamb to worship Him. Worthy is the Lamb to receive all honor and all glory and all praise. Why? Because this sacrifice has transformed our lives. Because this sacrifice can meet every person's need. It can forgive sin. It can eradicate sin. It is an amazing thing. 
And we don't often use this terminology, but if I can just use it just for this moment. The reason that Jesus can have all authority by the work on the cross is because the cross, tragic and, 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 and powerful and sacrificial though it, though it is, all have, also has an element of victory even in it. And if I can say this, he's won it. He's won the authority. Who gives this authority to Jesus? It's our Heavenly Father who looks upon this sacrifice and says, this is my Son who I've given to the world and he's given his life. Therefore, I'm glad to give him all authority because he is the Lamb that's worthy of all our praise. Second reason he has all authority is because of the resurrection. The proof of the resurrection is bound up in who Jesus is. Who is he? He is the Son of God. The tomb could not hold him because there was power to raise him from the dead. The wages of sin is death. Jesus never had any sin, therefore there were no wages, therefore death could not hold him. He was raised again. Raised up into newness of life. He is the Son of God. The last, the last enemy in conflict to the purposes of God, the Bible says, is death. And Jesus overcame death. And is raised and is alive forevermore. And when he says, <laughs> all authority has been given unto me, the resurrection is a little hint of what that might entail. Brothers and sisters, we are moving forward in the purposes of God with someone who has all authority because of his life and death and because of his powerful resurrection. I, I kind of enjoy Easter Sunday, but there's a part of me that every time we get to Easter Sunday, I think, why do we only do this on Easter Sunday? And it's not that there's too much emphasis on the cross, far from it, but it's just that there should be equal emphasis on the resurrection. Because the resurrection reminds me of the all authority that we have in Christ Jesus. And then the third uh, indication I want to bring out today is something which I feel as Christians, and as Christian church generally, maybe has often had as a slightly absent doctrine, which when I read the New Testament, I find it's everywhere, as I'll just kind of try and show you in a moment. And that's the ascension. The ascension is the absolute statement of all authority has been given unto me. And at the right hand of the Father, there is a seat. It's an empty seat. And the right hand of the Father, the seat speaks of the highest place. It speaks of equality with God. It speaks of the place that is reserved and there's only one person that can sit upon this seat. And you see, when Jesus died on the cross and then was raised from the dead, it's not the end of the story. Because we know the Bible teaches us that he then was ascended on high. 
He was raised to sit at the right hand of our Heavenly Father forever. Satan was a beautiful created angel who allowed pride to enter into his heart and actually wanted, above all else, I believe this is absolutely vital for us to get this, the whole purpose was he wanted, above all else, to sit in equality with God. The Bible teaches us that whilst he was endeavouring, I, 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 me, 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 I want to have this position, the Bible teaches that because of that he was cast down, cast out of the presence of God. But really you have to understand it's the seat that the devil really is interested in. I must have that seat. Because the seat signifies amazing things. I know you know this passage of scripture, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to contrast the work of the enemy in trying to get equality with God and what it says of Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That means to the seat at the right hand of the Father, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus dies, and, and his death deals with the problem of sin. Jesus is raised from the dead. His, death, his resurrection deals with death. But then he is raised, ascended, and sits at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to use my imagination a little bit, but I hope it works for you. Because I kind of feel that when the devil saw that Jesus had been raised from the dead, his thinking, you have to imagine this, (laughs) might well have been something like, well, we've really lost that one, but here we go. We'll continue the warfare. We'll continue the battle. And a bit like some Christians have a view of the battle that we're involved in as dualism, which means evil versus good. And we're not like Star Wars. We don't really know till we've seen the whole lot of the films who wins in the end. This, this tells me something completely different. That when the devil sees Jesus not only raised from the dead, but then ascending into heaven, I think the devil is saying, but not the seat. He mustn't sit down there. Because he knows, and this is what I want you to know, that the seat at the right hand of the Father signifies 
that the outcome of everything that's now going to happen in the future has been dealt with once and for all. The seat of the right hand of the Father, as Jesus comes into heaven, as it were, and sits down at the right hand of the Father, signifies the outcome of everything. Battles that we are trying to fight have already been won. How do we know this? Because Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Difficulties that we're facing and we're wondering, <coughs> will the enemy overwhelm us with this? No, no, no. There is a seat at the right hand of the Father on high and Jesus has sat down upon that seat. And for every Christian here today, and every church leader, all of us, we have to understand that every day and everything we face, that every day we look as it were up to heaven, what do we see? We see Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father on high. He's the one who said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And we know it's true, and it's true forever and ever. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. What does that mean? It signifies that he knows the outcome of all things have been won. There's no other loose ends. It's done forever and ever. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1. It's been referred to, hasn't it, already this week. There's been various mountains that have been mentioned. Well, this is probably the Ben Nevis or something. Of any mountain that's left. Verse 19, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Notice, far above all rule and power and dominion. Not equal to, far above. That's what that seat signifies. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Brothers and sisters, this Jesus has all things under his feet. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I want you to know this was a major doctrine of the early church. We haven't got time to look at all the verses, but sermons preached in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 5 talk all about this amazing thing that's happened. Matthew 26, 64. Jesus says, I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven Colossians 3.1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had uh, provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I just want to highlight this particular uh, passage in in Hebrews uh, and chapter 10 and verse 11 it says this day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again he offers the same sacrifices which, uh, which can never take away sins but when this priest Jesus had offered <clears throat> for all time one sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. 
For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. It signifies so clearly to us the complete and absolute authority that he has, no question, no debate, far above all names, all authorities, all governments, everything. And it's hard for us sometimes when you read this passage in Hebrews to get this, but I'll try my best. In Jewish understanding, when you sit down, it means that the task you've been told to do has been accomplished. And so when it says priests stand, that's very, very relevant. Priests stand because... They must keep on making more and more sacrifices. Why? Because the sacrifices they're making are not yet complete. When these Jewish uh, (coughs) listeners heard that Jesus has sat down, they knew that everything he had come to do had been accomplished for all time. He sat down. (coughs) And everybody thought, why he sat down? That means everything that was necessary has been accomplished and been achieved. So I'm preaching a sermon at the moment And I'm standing. Do you know why? Because I haven't finished. There'll come a moment when I'll stop. And your relief will be that he has finished his sermon. He has completed his task. He's sat down. Jesus, once and for all sacrifice for all time, has sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. I just want us to see today that the ascension is an amazing doctrine that we need to restore it to us over and over again. Now, if Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father, has he sat down passively? Some of you, as I'm preaching, are sitting actively and you're engaged with what I'm saying. Some of you are taking notes to help you stay awake. Some of you have been nudged by people next to you. It's been a long weekend. It's very tiring. Some of you are passive. Some of you have got your arms... Oh, oh, no, sorry. Some of you are kind of in... And, and I don't know about you, but sitting down for me sometimes is, oh, thank goodness I can sit down. This sitting down that Jesus has done is not that he's sitting back passively, and this is what I want to get today. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore go. It can be interpreted by some of us, oh, great, well, there's authority in heaven then. And it's like, Jesus, I've done my bit, so now off you go. Go, in my name. Go on, off you go. All the best. And Jesus is just passively sitting there, just kind of watching this. Absolutely not. He has sat down. The signification of sitting down is all the things we've mentioned thus far. So important. But he's sitting there, not passively, but he's sitting there actively involved. Constantly involved with us in all that we're doing. I love this verse in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Every morning you wake up in heaven, there is the ascended one at the right hand of the Father, who is praying for you and for me. He is actively involved in the world. And as Dave definition was showing us yesterday, more perhaps than we realized. 
is he actively involved in this world? Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father in high, but he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He said, I will build my church. It means he's building his church. He's saving men and women. He's adding men and women to his growing community. He fills the church with his presence. He is the one, the ascended Christ, who baptizes people with the Holy Spirit when they ask him. It is in Ephesians 4, the ascended Christ, who gives gifts to men and gives those gifts to the church. He is providing, healing, delivering, bringing miraculous breakthrough, bringing nations to nothing, governments to nothing, breathing on other nations, intimately involved in every area of our lives. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me and to no one else, he can say, go, because he's coming with us. Look at that passage we read. Surely I am with you till the end of the age. This authority that he has that's been given to him is his authority to change the nations of the world. As Christ Central moves into a new area of whatever God has called you as a people to do, my appeal today is this. Please do not forget that whatever we do and whatever we accomplish, all the things we overcome is not because of us and our resources, but because we have one who has all authority who said, I will be with you. And some of us even now today, uh, before we finish this conference, have to acknowledge we are facing some tremendous challenges. The encouragement to you and me is this. This Jesus is an authority. Now, very, very quickly, because I want to draw this to a close, mention and highlight some examples of where this authority, this authority isn't in heaven, something we sing about. It's more and more increasingly being active here on the earth. First way I see that is through the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God represents the authority of this King Jesus. His reign is over all the earth. Do you believe that? His reign is over all the nations. He is the highest authority. The highest authority in this land is not the highest authority that you think it is, it's Jesus. The highest authority over Europe is King Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And we, the church, must understand that his kingdom authority, and I won't go over this because Dave mentioned this so clearly yesterday, is now coming through the church and into society. Sort of the earth, light of the world. We can be this because of the authority that God has. So there's authority actively coming through people like you and me into a society that doesn't know him. Secondly, there's authority in the church. These are big subjects, but... One of the ways God manifests his authority, this all authority, is through the church and through the way the church operates. <clears throat> this head of the church will build the church in his way with his all authority. He has decided that elders should be appointed in churches, and there's a reason. <clears throat> and the reason is that godly governmental authority might be in operation amongst us. 
And I don't think this is an old-fashioned concept that's going out right now. I think it's a timeless biblical principle that we need to live with. (coughs) Thirdly, the home. There needs to be authority established in the home. I think of something like marriage. And the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife. How many of you believe that? Put your hand up if you believe that's true. I'm quite surprised at the reaction because sometimes when you mention something like that in Christian circles, and I say to people, is Jesus the head of the church? Yes. It says, husbands, you're the head of your wife as Christ is the head of the church. Christ will always be the head of the church. Husbands will always be the head of their wives. Now, we have to understand how that works out in practice. But it's important. (coughs) And the home is so, so important when it comes to authority being exercised. It's true of parenting. We did a parenting seminar yesterday. It's true of parenting as well, isn't it? The cry of this nation, I think, is where, oh, where is authority in the home? And can I just say to you fathers who are here, exercise the authority that God has given to you in your home. A lot of people would be very grateful if you started to do that. There's always authority in the home. Sometimes I visit families and I, I see where their authority is. And it's not the father, it's not the mother. And his name is, and he's three years old. He is in complete authority in the home. The cry of our nation when it comes to parenting is, where's authority? Well, this Jesus, who has all authority, accesses that authority through us, the kingdom of God, and through the church, and through even our homes. The Bible teaches about lots of different ways this authority is worked out. The final one I want to mention is this, the authority to do the works of Jesus. And this is authority given to all believers. Jesus clearly gave authority to his disciples, actually even before the ascension. But after the ascension, there's the the day of Pentecost. And the authority that was upon Jesus when he was walking this planet is now being given to us. Beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke He reads Luke chapter 4, which is, in Luke chapter 4, you can read this at the beginning of his ministry, quoting Isaiah 61, preaching good news to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, setting the captive free. He said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And if you read the Gospels from that very moment on, that's exactly what Jesus did. And he said to his disciples, it's far better for me to go to be with the Father. And here's one of the reasons, because on the day of Pentecost, the spirit that was upon him was then poured out upon all flesh. So that we, the church here in the United Kingdom today, can say the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. To preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to see signs and wonders and miracles and breakthroughs and see amazing things begin to happen. Authority given to us to see sickness healed and people delivered from demonic oppression and nothing being too hard for him and therefore for his people let me close by saying this and then we're going to pray together that as we go and as we do and as we plant and as we pray and as we fast and as we worship 
We do all these things. The backdrop, the overriding aspect is we do this because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. I wonder if the band would like to come back, please. And I wonder if you'd like to stand. We've not quite finished yet. Why don't we just close our eyes just for a moment? I'd like to pray for us. On the basis of God's word this morning, I can say to you with complete confidence that the authority given to Jesus never changes. It never diminishes, never hits a hurdle that cannot be overcome. His authority never runs out. And as you and I now, let's just pray, as you and I face the future, however great the task is before us, Jesus is an authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. Can you say that with me? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Your church plant that's really struggling right now, can I just say to you, Jesus is an authority. doesn't matter how much you're struggling, that doesn't change. Some good news for you, whether your church is going well or not so well, here's some good news. Jesus is an authority. doesn't change it. Whether your church is growing or not growing, here's some good news to go away with. Jesus is in all authority. Some of you are facing perplexing situations. Just in our prayer meeting before we came here, we heard of some tragic news of this happened to some people that are connected to people here. Totally, utterly perplexing. Do you know, the, the, the longer I live, the more I'm aware of there's so many more things I just don't understand. But Jesus is in authority. The seat in heaven doesn't get changed so someone else is sitting on it. It's forever and ever and ever. If you're not healed, Jesus is still in authority. Whatever you're facing as an individual or corporately, Jesus is an authority. Father, we come at the end of this wonderful weekend. We're going with promises. We're going with hopes and dreams. We're going with a longing to see you move in great power. But I want us to go only because all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto you. Jesus, you're worthy of this authority. Jesus, you overcame death. You are alive forevermore. And we extol you and we applaud you as our risen King. And Jesus, we're so grateful 
that when there was a seat in heaven that was empty, there was only one. The one who did not grasp equality with God has been given the name above all names to sit at the right hand of the Father on high. And every day that I wake, I look up to heaven and I see that you are there, unchanging, always in authority. And for this family of churches, Lord, I pray that we would know the invasion of the authority of Jesus into all kinds of situations, and all kinds of church situations like we've never seen before. We bow before you. We exalt you. We lift you high in Jesus' name. I'd like us to close today by worshipping the one, the only one worthy of our worship, the highest one, the ascended one, the one who has all things under his feet. Would you like to join me and the band doing that? Amen.